Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Praise God. So glad. I am so glad that you are here today in service. I also am glad that everyone who is at our Red Bug Lake and our Michigan Street campuses also here at Curry Ford. Come on, let's all just uh, put our hands together and say how much we love linking together with the family of God. And um, I know that you there on those campuses, um, I know here we're sensing the presence of God. Come on, and we said amen to that. Glad to be up in church today. If you're joining us on screen somewhere else, um, I, I pray you'll sense the presence of God too. Lean into what God is speaking to you. Um, and we look forward to you being able to be in person in one of our campuses. Because as great as it is on a screen somewhere, it's even better in person. Yeah. All right. Good job on my in-person people. Uh, yeah, one of our campuses. Come on out and see us. Um, we've been in this uh, series about uh, how do you manage uh, just with all that's going on in the uh, economic world right now, uh, it's a good time to kind of sit back and go, okay, I, I need to figure out my management plan and what's going on with this. Uh, I'm going to jump into that. Uh, we'll close that series out today. Uh, before I jump into that, um, I do just want to make mention of something as it results, uh, as it concerns our search for a, um, a children's pastor, a children's ministries director. Um, many of you would have been in the service probably about two months ago or so, almost two months back, uh, when Pastor Ashley came up and we uh, announced that uh, she would be uh, taking on an assignment to World Mission, something she'd been feeling in her heart for a little while. Um, well, uh, we began a, a search for a kid's uh, pastor at that time, and we had talked to a few different people. And um, right, right after that Sunday, when her and her family were up here. Um, I was also on the phone with her that week. And um, there was some things that started to um, take place in her personal life and in her family um, that were going to make her involvement in world missions uh, a real challenge at this time and, and not really something that she was going to be able to pursue at this time uh, in her life. And so we began that conversation about uh, as we were trying to figure out what we were going to do, and she, the conversation began to lean more towards um, whether or not she could come back and be our, our, our kid's pastor. Now, uh, what has happened in her life uh, is nothing of her doing, and it's nothing that she deserves, and, but there has been some real uh, tough personal things uh, within her family. Um, and uh, so when... When this was all going on, uh, she, here's where I was at. She began to have this conversation of, could I potentially come back? Uh, a couple of thoughts went through my mind. One thought was this, is that she is a daughter of this house, and uh, the church is going to come alongside her either way, and we're going to be the support that she needs at this time. The other thing I thought was how devastated and, and disappointed and sad I was that she was uh, leaving, and uh, I said, well, so then if she was potentially coming back, I suppose I'd be really, really happy about that. And so um, 
I will tell you this, I would like to announce our, our new children's ministry director, kids pastor, lead kids pastor. She looks a lot like our previous kids pastor and leads pastor. But uh, Pastor Ashley's gonna be coming back uh, as our kids pastor. Um, amen. And we're, we're very, very excited about that. Now, with that, there is a nuance to this that I wanna make you aware of this, is that most likely, uh, as it looks like right now, she will be coming back as a single mom uh, and uh, you know, with the challenges that, that come with that. Um, now again, I wanna, I wanna make something very, very clear. Ash, Pastor Ashley has done nothing, there's no hint of anything that she has done that would disqualify her from ministry. Okay, I need you to be a very, very, there's nothing at all. There's not a hint of anything. Um, so there's things outside of her control that is going on right now. And I know probably what some are thinking in as they're hearing this announcement is because we kind of live in a world where we get used to thinking that we are entitled to know everybody's junk. Like we, we should know everything that's going on in everybody's life because social media has kind of trained us into thinking that that's how life is supposed to work. And listen, you don't have to know all the details of every single person's life, okay? And, um, but know this, that... Uh, that she and her family are in a, in, are in a uh, season where your prayers would be welcomed. And uh, she'll be back as our kids pastor starting uh, next Sunday. And when, you, when, when, they, when she does come back, don't inundate her with a ton of questions and details. And you can tell me and whatever. No, we're, we're, we're just going to be a support to her and pray for her. Because we are, amen, I thank you for that. I do. We are in a season where kids' ministry and youth ministry is more important than it's ever been. <clears throat> and so we're believing for the next phase of kids and youth ministry to, to go to levels that's never gone before. Uh, it's needed because the world is, is trying to indoctrinate kids in a whole different direction. And so the church has to step up and be stronger than ever in these ministries. And so we believe that this didn't catch God by surprise and that God is in this and so we are excited about the future. Speaking of, you, of, of kids' ministry, uh, our, that kids' camp that was coming up, it did fill up quick, but we're working on making some more space for that kids' camp that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And just last week, our middle school and high schoolers just got back from camp uh, Monday through Friday. Nearly 400 students there. Uh, I think they baptized over 50 students there on the last day of camp. And so I saw some pictures of that. It was so awesome. So we are excited about the future of these ministries and we're, we're praying about ways we can uh, invest in them and have them reach even more students for God's glory. And uh, let me just remind uh, all, the, uh, all the, especially all the dads in the room, but next week is Father's Day weekend. So Saturday we got that, Saturday morning we got that cookout. And then Sunday, bring your dad, dads, bring your family. Uh, everybody come out for uh, church this coming Sunday. Hats off to dad. It's going to be a lot of fun and uh, be encouraging for all the dads. All right. Uh, let me jump in to this passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 6. We'll read from there. Also Malachi chapter 3. Matthew chapter 6 and Malachi chapter 3. We've been in this, um, these, these messages called How Do You, how do you Manage? How, how are you managing? How's it going? Uh, a lot of talk out there, a lot of fear out there. I get it. I sense it. Um, but uh, we're, we're, we're 
stepping back away from all of the fear for a second and diving into the faith of God's word and saying, okay, I'm gonna do this God's way and maybe now more than ever, we need to do it God's way. Like some of you might be going right now, like because of kind of the temperature of the environment and the culture and the economic reports, some of you are like, okay, I'm ready to try it God's way. All right, I'm ready to do this. So that's what we're doing, Matthew chapter six. And we, we, we've been saying how it kind of takes two different legs to make progress in this area of managing our, our resource. It takes the, the leg of, of generosity and giving, which we'll talk about some today. Last week, we spent a ton of time on the other leg of, of um, managing well the resource that we have and uh, that, that's still God's, but it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's that which we don't give away with generosity, but managing that and stewarding that well. And both of those are important parts to make progress is to have both legs going. Matthew chapter 6 talks about that. It's been kind of our theme verse. Let's start with verse 19. If you're there across all the campuses, give me an amen. amen. All right. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not, uh, where, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Today I'm going to preach on redeeming the resource. Redeeming the resource. Let's pray real quick. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that our hearts, today that our hearts would be changed. As we talk about uh, the redeeming of our resource, God, we pray that our hearts would be engaged in this. Come on, will you pray that with me, Lord? Just move my heart today as I look into your word. I pray, God, fresh anointing upon this word. Help me, God, to speak what you would have me say. Nothing more than that, nothing less than that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Yeah, those couple of verses we just read, and we'll continue reading Matthew 6 in just a moment. But Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on the earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Um, and so when I was reading that, I, I was remembering a story that I heard about a guy that was wealthy on this earth and he dies and he makes it to heaven because he was a Christian and he makes it to heaven and so Peter is there showing him around heaven. I don't know if St. Peter's gonna be everyone's guide around heaven, but he was this guy's guide around heaven. And as they're walking all these amazing mansions and he sees this one massive, beautiful mansion and the guy's walking up to it and he's getting kind of excited thinking it might be his. And he goes, do you remember your gardener? And he's like, well, yeah. And he says his name. Yeah, that's him. He goes, um, yeah, he worked with me for like 10 years. And he goes, well, this is his house. And he's like, this is my gardener's mansion? He's like, yes. He goes, oh my goodness, it's amazing. I can't believe it. That's so awesome. They walk for a little bit longer and come up on even a nicer, bigger mansion. And he goes, do you see this? And the guy goes, yeah, he's getting excited. And he goes, well, do you remember that missionary? And he says the missionary's name. When you were a kid, he came to your church and he was going to a foreign land and um, where the, they didn't have much. And he was telling about Jesus and the, this wealthy man on earth, but now in heaven. He goes, yeah, I remember that. And he goes, well, this is missionary Bob's mansion. And he goes, oh my goodness, it's so beautiful. I, I remember missionary Bob, that was amazing. Yeah, this is incredible. And they keep walking a little bit further and get down kind of towards more the end of the street and uh, down at the end of the street, there's this little, tiny, more like of a kind of a shack type of a deal, right? Just like a maybe six foot by eight foot, a couple crooked little walls leaned up against each other, maybe a little hole in the roof, just kind of there. And St. Peter was like to this wealthy man, he's like, and we, we got here, we've arrived. 
And the guy's like, what do, you, what do you mean? He goes, here it is. This is your house. He's like, what do you mean this is my house? He's like, the, my, my, my gardener, the, the big old mansion, and missionary Bob had his great big, and then I have this little, I mean, what's, what's going on? And St. Peter looked at him and said, well, actually, we did the absolute most we could with what you sent ahead of time. Now, I told that, that's a true story, by the way. It's not really at all, no. Now, here's the thing. I told that story in both services, and both times it hit so hard, and it's not supposed to hit so hard. Everybody's just like, oh, I felt that in Jesus, yeah. So I don't know where all that conviction's coming from. That was not my intent. Uh, but that's what Jesus is saying. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin aren't going to destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. And why, this, why is this so important, the placement of our treasure? Because verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your treasure will lead the way and your heart will follow the treasure. It's not the other way around. Verse 24 in that same chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. Some versions say both God and mammon. And, um, and I, I do like that word mammon because it, it connotates that there is a spiritual component to money. That's why, that's why that word mammon, that, that's why Jesus would have used that word mammon to, uh, to imply that there is a spiritual process going on with money and with greed and with materialism. And in that thought of, of, of money and mammon, Jesus did not say, well, you must not serve both. Jesus did not say you should not serve both. What Jesus said was is that you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and, and mammon. There was an Old Testament uh, God called mammon that was a God of materialism. You cannot serve, you're not going to be able to serve these both, which is why we would need our resource to be redeemed. Because when your resource is unredeemed, it's not, uh, it's, it's not holy. We, we, we need our resource, like especially right now, like some of y'all need your bank account to get saved. Can, can we just say amen to that? Like you need your money to be holy because right now your money is holy with an EY. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like, it's like it just seems like it's never quite enough and you're looking at it and you're like, where did it go? Like it's holy with an EY and God says, I want to take that money that's holy with an EY and make it holy with just an H-O-L-Y so that it'll actually extend further than you ever thought it was going to extend and so we're going to talk about redeeming our resource and how that would happen. And Malachi chapter 3 talks about how we would redeem our resource. And we, I, I, I warn you now, we are going to look at a lot of scripture today because I want to make sure you, make sure you understand that, um, that this is, this, these principles that we're looking at, they are all throughout scripture. We don't have to pull, pull one little verse and take it out of context to, uh, to see what God thinks about this. No, it's all over scripture, so we are going to look at a lot of scripture. Matthew chapter 3 talks about how we can redeem our resource. It says, um, verse 3, I, the Lord, do not change. It's kind of important that that's a part of this passage because he's like, this, is gonna, this principle is going to be around for a minute because I don't change. Let's go to verse 8. 
Will a mere mortal rob God, uh, rob God, yet you rob me? And you ask, well, how are we robbing you, God? Uh, how would that happen? And then God says, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, you, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. So instead of that, as a result of that, Verse 10, God says through the prophet Malachi, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. As we're talking about redeeming the rest, as we're talking about redeeming our resource, when I'm redeeming my resource, God will be my priority. When I'm redeeming my resource, God will be priority. Can I talk for a minute about priority? Can I talk for a minute about God being first in our life? Uh, and that happens uh, through this thing. One of the ways this happens and one of the ways this is shown in our life is through this thing called the tithe. And we're going to show you kind of all throughout Scripture this principle of priority. This principle of first, where when God is first in our life, things seem to fall into place. When God is not first in our life, it seems like nothing ever falls into place. And so one person asked me last Sunday after the service, we didn't talk about the tithe a ton, but we did mention it in the, in the services we were talking about uh, uh, managing well, and as we talked about stewardship, um, one person came and asked me, and I'm glad they did because I'm sure maybe several of us have had that question. But they said, does the Bible, does the Bible say that we're supposed to give 10% though? And I, I said, well, so, you know, some versions of the Bible may use that, that uh, phrase. I don't know for sure. But literally the word tithe, so Malachi says, bring the whole tithe. Um, he's talking about a, a, a tithe. This literally, it's a math word that this literally means the tenth, a tenth, bring the tenth, one tenth uh, into the storehouse, into the ministry of, of the church. That's what the Malachi would be talking about when he says the tenth. And so 10%, the tenth, it's just kind of, it's all right there within the word tithe. And so we, we know, like for instance, like Exodus talks about uh, this principle of first. We'll, we'll start there with Exodus, Exodus 13 and Exodus 23. Listen to what Exodus 13 says. Exodus uh, 13 says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, God says. The first belongs to me, whether human or animal. It's this principle of first. Exodus 13. Exodus 23, verse 19 the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Now, I like this one because uh, um, God says it this way. He doesn't just say the first fruits. He says, the first of the first fruits. They belong to me. You should bring them into the house of the Lord. And so as we think about this first fruit, this tithe, this 10%, uh, I have a bowl of fruit right here, and I don't know if you can see it, but it's a bowl of beautiful lemons right here. I got, and uh, you'll never guess how many lemons I have in this bowl, but I have 10 lemons in this bowl. So if I were to bring a first fruit to the Lord from my 10 lemons of increase that somebody gave me, uh, if I were to bring uh, uh, a tithe or a first fruit offering to the Lord, how many of these 10 would be that tithe or this uh, first fruit offering? 
One, one of the 10. We got some math geniuses in the room. I love it. Great job. Some of you are still waiting to hear everybody else's answer and kind of cheat off of them. It's not allowed in church. So it's one, uh, but here's the second level to the question is, is which one is it? The, the first one. The first one that I received of the 10 is the first fruit. And so it's the first that I would bring to the Lord. And what that does is when I bring the first to the Lord, it redeems the rest. It's a principle of first that says, God, when I put you first in my life, everything else seems to work out. Same with my finances. God, when I put you first in my life, everything else will work out. And so maybe somebody in the room, because you watched a, uh, a video on Facebook and you said, oh, you just read two verses in Exodus and that's the law. And we're not under the law. So boom, gotcha. And you know what? It's true. Uh, that is the law, those two verses. I'm gonna get ready to show it to you all over the Bible, so I'm not worried. But let's say, let's say it is in the law, and let's say it was the only place, and it's not. Let me ask you this. Does everything that was right under the law, is everything that was right under the law now wrong? In other words, like, honor your father and mother. Is that still a good principle? That's a pretty good principle. That one seems to stand the test of time. Uh, you'll have no other gods before me. That, was, that came down. That was commandment number one in the law. Is it still, still good to honor God have no other gods before? Just because something was right in the law does not make it wrong now. Just because something was wrong under the law does, definitely doesn't make it right now. Okay? So just the fact that it was under the law would not disqualify it. Now let's jump, let's, again, we're going to look at a lot of scripture, but let me show you this principle of first all throughout the Bible. So the note takers are getting excited right now because there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of scriptures to jot down. Uh, some of you just cheat and take pictures of the screen when the scriptures come up. That's okay too. Genesis 14. Uh, verse 18 through 20. Now this is, is this part of the law? No, this is 430 years before the law even came through Moses. Way before the law, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be uh, God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tithe of all. This is way before the law ever comes, and we have Abram giving a tithe 430 years before the law. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is, we're jumping way up now. New Testament. Paul, uh, the apostle, writing to the church of Corinth. And um, listen to this. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day, there it is, priority, first, principle of first. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside Lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, uh, in, in, that there may be no collections when I come. In other words, don't hold back on your giving on the first, make God the priority, on the first day of the week, according to how, how, how you have prospered. Uh, what does that mean? Well, the New Living Translation says it this way, in relationship to what you have earned. So Paul is talking here about percentage giving. He's not saying, hey, everybody give $10. That's not what he's saying. He said, on the first day of the week, look at what you have earned, and according to that, 
give your offering. Now, I think that Paul is referencing the first fruit and the tithe. Does he say 10%? I don't think he thought he probably had to because that was the principle first that, that uh, those believers probably were, were already operating in. Let's jump way back uh, uh, to, to Genesis chapter four. Uh, now, we read one in Genesis a moment ago that was 400 years before the law. The law comes through Moses, okay? Uh, and then 400 years before that was Abraham. And then if we go 1,500 years before the law comes through Moses, 1,500 years earlier, we're gonna see the principle of first fruit. Look at it in Genesis chapter four. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. It says Abel, who's Cain's brother, also brought the firstborn, take note of that, brings the firstborn of his flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain went away very angry, and his countenance fell. Why does God have this distinction between Cain's offering and Abel's offering? I would, there could be some, some extenuating factors in this. I would submit to you one of them would be this, is that Abel brings a first fruit, and Cain, in the process of time, brings some fruit. There is a principle of first that when God is first in my life, it redeems everything else. We see it all throughout Scripture. We go, well, what if, what if Jesus, let me ask you this, what if Jesus said that tithing was still an important part of your life? Then would you consider it uh, because he did. In Matthew 23, verse 23, he's dealing with some teachers of the law. Look what Jesus said. This is in red. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, why are they hypocrites? Because they were giving of their tithe. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected more important matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, this would have been a great time for Jesus to fulfill the law, for Jesus to kind of shift uh, the direction of the law. He did that often. Sermon on the Mount, he would say, you've heard it said this, but I say this. You may remember reading anything like that? Like he said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say don't even look at a woman lustfully. He said, you've heard it said you should not murder, but I say don't even get angry at somebody and call them names. So Jesus had no problem kind of clarifying and taking the law to a new level. This would have been a great time for him to do that and say, hey, uh, you, you are giving your tithe. I don't think y'all need to worry about that. That's not what he said, though. Let's look at what Jesus says. He says, you've neglected more important matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced those, the latter, the mercy, justice, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former, without neglecting the tithe, without neglecting the putting God first, without neglecting the first truth. Now, why, here's, here's, here's what I really want you to get, is why does the first fruit redeem the rest. Like, what is it about it? 
What is it about this? Is it a financial transaction that if I make this financial transaction that now something supernatural happens? It's not a financial transaction that unlocks this uh, redeeming of, of, of what you have. It is a faith transaction that unlocks the, the redemption of what you have. Hear this, it's, it's, it's a step of faith. It's not a step of financial, uh, it's not a financial secret, it is a faith secret. Let me, let me say it this way. So if somebody saw these lemons, they, they, somebody walked into a room this morning and they were there and they said, they said, are you guys, somebody making lemonade or something? And I was like, well, we might after church. So swing by my lemonade stand, I'm raising money. Amen, all right. Um, but let's say I was gonna make lemonades, lemonade, I'll just make one lemonade. I don't think you can make multiple lemonades. Uh, let's say I was making lemonade and I get the recipe out and I see the recipe and it says, um, uh, uh, you know, a cup of sugar and a little bit of water, and then it goes, and 10 lemons. And I'm looking at the recipe, and I go, okay, it takes 10 lemons to make this lemonade. Well, now, if I go, well, but here's the thing, I just got these lemons, and one of these belongs to the Lord. Now you see it takes faith for me to believe that when I start squeezing these nine lemons, that more juice is gonna come out of these nine lemons than would have come out of all 10 if I squeezed them here. Now here's the thing. I fully believe that would happen. I believe it so much, I was tempted to do a science experiment right here during church. I was gonna squeeze out all 10 lemons and then take 10 and give one to the Lord and I'll work it as hard as I have to to get the nine to have more with God's help and I'd have one pitcher full of overflowing of lemon juice and one over here with not as much. I was ready, to, I believe it so much, I honestly believe God would probably do it. Matter of fact, tonight, show up at six for the lemon science experiment right here at Faith Assembly. No, I'm not. But I believe that principle with all my heart, and that takes faith to do that. It takes faith to step out and go, no, I'm going to get more juice out of those nine than I would have got out of the ten. And when I unlock that faith, that's when I get more juice out of the nine than I would have got out of the ten. And somebody, sometimes they go, well, but I, I, what, what if I just what if I just cut that first lemon in half and give half of, can I just do half a tithe and kind of have half redemption on my money? Because it's just tough to step out and do the whole thing. And listen, uh, you can, I don't know what kind of dynamic you'll have from God. All I know is this, is that when God was speaking through the prophet Malachi, he said, bring the whole tithe. A tithe is a tenth, so if I cut it in half and it's a fifth, it's, it's not a tithe anymore. It's a it's a fifth, it's not a tenth. And so um, there's something happens when I step out in that faith. I honor God with the first fruit and the rest of what I have is redeemed. It's the, con it's the consistent witness of scripture all throughout scripture and it speaks to this, this, um, this part of God, this, this attribute of God that doesn't get talked about a lot, but God is preeminent. It means God has to be first. God cannot be any other thing. It's, it's who he is. He is a first God. Colossians 1 talks about his preeminence. It says he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn. Did you know that Jesus was God's first fruit offering? That you were, in a, you were in a place in need of a savior, in, in need of redemption, and God sends his first, his best, Jesus to you. Jesus is a first fruit offering. Jesus, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. God has to be the priority. And so when I'm redeeming my resource, God's going to be the priority. When I'm also, also when I'm redeeming my resource, God, 
he will be my provision and my protection as well. Not only will he be my priority, but he will be my provision and my protection. Now let's look at what the word of God says about this. Verse 10 through 12, Malachi 3, that same passage where God is speaking through the prophet Malachi, unlocking this redemption of our resource. This is what God says. God says, test me in this. God's God's challenging you to try him in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room uh, to store it. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. God is saying when you put me First, I'll be your provider. When you put me first, I'll be your protector. I mean, it allows us to sing that song we were just singing a few moments ago. This says, Jireh, you are enough. That Jireh, it's, it's, it's an Old Testament name of God. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's what it means. God wants to be your provider. God loves you so much. And um, he would even have us speak a message like this that some people might go, oh man, I can't believe they're talking about money in the church and, and all this stuff. Listen, we're not doing this to get anything from you. We're doing this to get something for you. We want God's supernatural provision and protection to be unlocked in your life. And when you're hearing that, there are some people that are going into ditches off of the road of, of right thinking, of right management of resources. This is the road we want to be on, the road of right management of our resources. We want to manage well what God has trusted to us. And then on each side of that road, there are ditches. And the enemy wants you in either one of those ditches. He doesn't care which one, but he wants you in either one of them. Can I tell you what the two ditches are on each side of the road? On one side, it's the gospel of poverty. The enemy's fine if you go crashing into the gospel of poverty. The gospel of poverty says this, is that if you're a good Christian, you shouldn't have anything. And matter of fact, the gospel of poverty would say this, that the less you have, the more noble you are. The less you have, the more uh, pure you are. The less you have, the more God can use you. This is a gospel that actually kind of kicked into place about 150 years after the birth of the church. The day of Pentecost, which we talked about last Sunday, was the, was the birth of, of the church. And 150 years after that, uh, there was a, a, a father of the church named uh, Tertullian. Uh, and Tertullian wrote uh, some writings, and he was read, writing positive things about Egyptian Christians that had moved off and lived, they'd sold everything, and they'd moved off into the caves of Egypt, uh, taking a vow of poverty and not gonna have anything, we're just gonna go after God, and so Tertullian writes some positive things about this, and so people started to think, well, this is what you should do to be more spiritual. Um, Francis of Assisi takes this uh, teaching to a whole different level about a thousand years later, and, and people start to take uh, monks start to take vows of poverty and go into monasteries and have very, very, few, very, very little of anything. And that was a sign. It was, people were teaching it as a sign of spirituality. Well, here's the question. Does the Bible talk about poverty or the lack of anything as a sign of, of, uh, of spirituality? And someone goes, oh, I can think of a spot. I can think of a spot is when Jesus was dealing with the rich young ruler. And he said to the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sad. Go, there it is. Well, 
That's the only one that Jesus made that statement to, made that condition of. And Jesus dealt with fairly, uh, with, with several, we know of, several wealthy followers of, of Christ. As a matter of fact, just a chapter or two before that one is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. He is up on the tree, meets Jesus. You know that story, right? And when he encounters Jesus and his life is changed, Zacchaeus gets up and he goes, I'm going to sell half of what I have, and I'm going to give it away, and I'm going to make things right with people I need to make it right. I'm going to do half of what I have. And Jesus is like, all right, good. Now, that would have been a perfect time for Jesus to go, oh, actually, that you can't, because you'll still have too much if you only sell half. you got to sell all of it. There were other wealthy followers of, of, of Jesus that uh, were never made a demand of, 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 of losing everything. And so that's not what Jesus taught was this, this poverty uh, mindset, this poverty, you're not allowed to have anything, you can never, you can never be proud of you know, having something or whatever, like that, that's not there. Um, Jesus didn't say blessed are the poor, that gets misquoted sometimes. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are bankrupt spiritually, who understand that they are nothing without Jesus. They're the ones that will be blessed because they know spiritually I'm lost without him. Our security, no, it cannot come from the things that we have. It needs to come from Jesus. But even within that, sometimes you're going to be blessed with, with, with things. That's why in 1 Timothy 6, Paul tells Timothy, gives him some instruction for the wealthy followers of Christ. And he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, look at this, this is interesting, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. I mean, it's, it's there. So that poverty ditch will get you into trouble. Okay, guess what the other ditch is over here? It's the, it's the gospel of prosperity. Now, this has been abused which is why then sometimes people can't hear grounded biblical teaching on finances. Um, people, people that kind of are, are already obedient in this area, they're like, preach it, like we're good. But you know, some of us have a tough time with that. And it's because a lot, a lot of it is because of the abuse that's happened on the prosperity gospel side. The prosperity gospel side, the abuse side says this, God wants you filthy rich. And I mean, if you're not filthy rich, then you just haven't stepped into the full calling of God yet on your life. But God wants you to have just an exorbitant amount of, and those good things can become ultimate things in your life in that, in that prosperity gospel. In the prosperity gospel, you start to think, I need to accumulate. Materialism is what kicks in. You start to think, I need to accumulate more money and more things, and uh, no matter the cost, and God wants me financially wealthy above anything else God wants in my life, Material, materialism in this ditch, then my self-worth gets attached to my net worth. And that's not, that's a separate ditch to fall into. Now, here's the thing on this, on this healthy road as we look at this ditch of, of, of prosperity. Does God bless givers? Yes, he does. It's, it's, it's in scripture. It's, it's, well, we've, we've already read throughout a lot of it. Um, Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Pre good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. Jesus does not put this out there uh, so that uh, it would be your motivation for giving. 
Prosperity gospel will teach you that becomes the motivation for giving. You give to get. We don't give to get. We get to give, okay? It is because we love Jesus. It's because he is first in our life that we get to show that even with our first fruit, with the first of what has come into our life. God's not up in heaven hoping that you become a great getter. Like, man, I hope they learn that principle of getting. I want them to learn how to be good getters. Oh, we're already good getters. We got that part. No, God wants us to learn how to just have him so preeminent in our life that we are good givers. This promise is not our motivation. No, no, no. This promise frees us from the fear of giving. This promise frees us from the fear of the first fruit, honoring God with the first fruit. As I read the Bible, I don't see a poverty gospel. I don't see a prosperity gospel. I see a provisional gospel, right? I see a protection gospel. I see God coming through when we need him to come through in our life. Malachi said, you're under a curse. When he's not first in this area, you're under a curse. And we go, well, can, can Christians be in a curse? And I guess I, guess I, would, I would kind of put it this way. Um, in 2019, January of 2019, I was up in Minnesota preaching and then uh, I did a weekend event and then I was preaching at a church on the Sunday. And there in that city in, in Minnesota, uh, they were stepping into record low temperatures that day and the, com- in the com- coming couple days after that. So that Sunday morning, when I was getting ready for church, it was 20 below zero Temperature, not wind chill. Wind chill was like 60 below. Temperature was 20 below. That's not of Jesus. All right, I'll just tell you right now. I'm hearing about this, and I'm like, there's not going to be anybody in church. I mean, if it was 20 below, y'all would feel the Spirit telling you, it's online day today. I'll just be on the couch. You'd be trying to act all spiritual at your house. I know how you would do. I'm thinking, no one's going to be there. And I show up, and the church is full. Man, they're just ready to go. I'm like, man, these Minnesota people are hardcore. <laughs> and so I preach, and then after the first service, they came to me, and they said, hey, we're going to have somebody, about halfway through the service, we're going to have somebody go out and start your car, and it'll just be out there and be warm. And then when service is over, you'll be able to get in. It'll be warm. I was like, now that does sound like Jesus. I like that. <laughs> and so uh, they did that. And so I got done with service, and I didn't have a ton of, like, winter gear. I wasn't like all ski, ski suited up or anything. I just had to get from the door to my car and I knew my car was warm and the church was warm and I could survive the trip in between. So I kind of head out the door and I'm kind of moving fast to the car and it hits you. When it's 20 below, it hits you like, I mean, it's like knives. It, you feel it, it immediately. And as I'm running to my car, this, I hear this voice and it goes, Pastor. I turn around and it's this older gentleman. He says, can I talk to you? <laughs> and uh, I'll be honest, man, there was a part of me that just wanted to be like, nope. <laughs> you can't, actually, you can't. No. But I was like, yeah, what's, what's going on? And he just began to share a little bit about his life and sharing what God had done with him in that service. And God spoke to me this, and I really feel like this, and there's breakthrough in this. And the whole time, I'm not hearing a single word of it. Like, my brain is just frozen. It's just, and, uh, and I'm looking at him, and he's just chilling. Like, he's just having a day outside. And the difference between the two of us was that he was ready for it. He was covered up. He had on the right gear and the right gloves and the right uh, hat. Because he lived up in that environment, and so he knew what he had to do 
to be protected from those environments. But I was out there exposed to the elements and I was dying the whole time. I was under the curse of the environment and he was protected from that. We're in the same environment, but our two realities were very, very different. That's what happens when my resource gets redeemed. Look, we're all paying the same crazy inflation, but yet when my resource is redeemed, somehow I'm getting more juice out of these lemons than my neighbor is getting out of his lemons. And God would speak this to you, not, not, so that the, not even so that the church could move forward. Listen, we have vision for what God's gonna do around here, and God, we are gonna expand some ministry stuff, and we'll be telling you more about that uh, in the future, but we don't, I don't share this so that the church moves forward. I share this so that you'll move forward in your faith. I really do. Listen, my situation doesn't change with your, with your giving and with you honoring God with the first fruit. Like, my income doesn't change, my lifestyle doesn't change. My life doesn't change when you, when you give. Your life changes when you give. I promise that's my heart. Listen, and when you do give, we try to be good stewards around here. Like this stuff we're preaching, this is how we run the organization. And so we're, we, 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 get, we bring in a, a third-party auditor that comes in and they look at our finances. And as they compare it to other nonprofit organizations, so much of what's coming in at such a healthy level is going right back into ministry and right back into the resource of the church. Very little is going in on overhead as far as a national average. And the other thing I would mention is this, is that just in 2021, this is with your, the tithe. This is with your giving of tithe. I'm not, even, I'm not even talking about what you do for missions, which is incredible, which we have celebrated over the last month in a couple different ways. But I'm saying not even, not even counting what you do to missions, but I'm talking about what you do with the tithe. Just in 2021 alone, we were able to give nearly $1.3 million of your tithe went directly to benevolence and outreach efforts across this city and across the world. So that phrase we always say, that when you give, you're giving through Faith Assembly. Boy, that is just, that's just so true. And this is not meant to be any manipulation when we, when we look at this, what, what God is going to do in your life. Let me, let me end with this. First Kings chapter 17. There's a uh, story uh, that's, boy, you, you can read it. I'll just read some bits and pieces of it. But the prophet Elijah, God is out uh, feeding him at this brook. It's famine in the land, but God's got this one brook that Elijah's drinking from, and he's sending ravens with food, and so Elijah's making it work. Well, then pretty soon the brook dries up. Ravens aren't flying around anymore. God says, I want you to go to this widow in Zarephath. I want you to, to go to her and just see what she could do for you. See what she could provide for you. He said, I've directed the widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, Elijah does. When he came to the town gate, the widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and he said, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? It's a drought, remember, so this was a test. Will you bring me some water? And so she, she starts off towards to go get the water. As she was going to get it, he called and said, oh, and also bring me a piece of bread. She says, well, as surely as the Lord God lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive, in a, uh, olive oil in a jug. He, she says, I'm actually gathering these sticks together. We're gonna make one last fire. We're gonna make a meal for me and my son. We're gonna go home, and then we're just gonna die. That's it. 
Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first. Uh, bold ask here, he says, but, but first, make a small loaf of bread for me and what you have, uh, for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for you or yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord says. The God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends the rain on the land. She went away and she did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. The jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word spoken by Elijah. Three and a half years. This little jar of oil, this jug of flour lasted Three and a half years while everybody else is going, I can't believe the price of everything. She's going, oh, really? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> and we read this story and we go, now, now but here, God, in your, in your unique ways, like, why are you going to send the prophet Elijah to a widow who has very little to provide for him? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you send Elijah to a wealthy uh, person who knew the Lord and, and say, hey, you got lots of money and I don't have any food, so go get in your vast storage and give me something to eat. God could have done that, but yet God sends Elijah to this widow who literally has one more meal and she's going to die. Why would he send Elijah to the widow to provide for Elijah when she had nothing and she was getting ready to die? Here's why. God did not send Elijah to the widow to provide for Elijah. God sent Elijah to the widow to to provide for the widow. God wanted to do a miracle for her. What unlocked it? The principle of first. A step of faith. Elijah said, okay, well just first do this and it's not going to dry up. I believe with all my heart that when you put him first, you're not gonna dry up. You're not gonna run out. I believe that with all of my heart because it's the promise of God. Let's do that. Can we, across all of our campuses, can we honor God right now by showing God he's first in life? Can we honor him with the first fruit? Can you honor him with the tithe? Come on, let's celebrate and thank God. Say, God, I thank you for the promise in your word. We claim all of it. We claim all the promises. We claim the protection. We claim the provision. You are the priority. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.